0: I said it before and I'll say it again
1: That scene, that last
2: scene
0: What does it mean?
1: I'm the dude, you know Get the fuck out of
2: here yeah. No, I cannot
0: That final scene Starts now
2: Hello, hello and welcome to That Final Scene My name is Sophie and as always I'm in the in my kitchen <laughs> 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 With my co-host Ben and Simon uh, How are we doing?
0: Good, yeah, good to be back in the kitchen Pretty good, good to go, thanks back. Yeah. Sounds like a line from Hell's Kitchens or like a cooking show
2: Ooh, Good to be back in the kitchen Hell's Kitchen
0: yeah, Hell's Kitchen, remember the Gordon yeah. Ramsay show?
2: Yeah, I also remember the Daredevil. Yeah.
0: Yes, Hell's Kitchen is a place in New York. Yeah. Yes,
2: that's, an, yeah, I always confuse that because I'm always like, that can't be an actual name. Yeah, I think, a, I think it no, is, I think it is an no, actual place. No, no, you're, you're yeah. right. It's just like, it's such a bizarre name yeah. for an actual. Or as they refer
0: to it in Daredevil, the kitchen.
2: I was just uh, talking to Ben earlier before we started recording and we have some doubts for the revamp of Daredevil, for yeah. lack of a better word we're not quite sure where it's going to go. We feel like it's going to be a dumbed down version of the original.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it just it, that kind of sounds like what Disney are planning on doing. I don't know. It, the original on Netflix was so good and mm-hmm. so kind of I think it was really good because it wasn't Marvel doing it. It was at the time when it was all, all Marvel were making all these superhero movies and then Netflix got the IP for Daredevil and a few of the other characters and they made some really like interesting kind of like grittier tv shows but now that it's back with marvel i just don't know like it's great that charlie cox is there and john Berenthal's back as the punisher but you know you can like keeping the actors doesn't really matter if you dumb down the script and you make it like really pg and childreny it's just not going to be as interesting
2: yeah and i have a feeling from what i've heard like from what i've seen Charlie kind of implied that it's gonna kind of like, I think that he used the word accessible, like it's gonna be more accessible oh to people, which Ooh, means, yeah, which means, you know, 12A uh, at best. That means PG. By P- probably things. PD, yeah, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, Ben, you do you feel a bit more optimistic by what Bob Iger said recently? Yeah,
0: slightly. So, so I don't know if you heard this, but basically the guy who runs Disney, who who left, somebody else came in in charge of Disney and their share prices went down and he came back and was like, I'm back.
1: We'll give you two billion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Literally like Iger's back, baby. And it was, uh, but he's come out and said that, and which is I mean, I don't know how much it will bring me back because I feel like I've spoken a lot on the podcast about how I'm just kind of disillusioned by superhero movies now and I find them just kind of all repetitive. But he said that... He's going hard
1: on elven content. Yeah, (laughs) here's
0: hoping. Maybe they will. No, that's all at Amazon. That's uh, Jeff Bezos is going hard on elven content. But yeah, he came out and said that, you know, we need to... He's like, it's not that there's anything wrong at Marvel, but we need to like rethink what we do about you know, why do we need an Ant-Man 4, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like you don't need to keep giving the same characters like sequels when Marvel and, you know, most superhero kind of and most comic book places have, like, have a really big back catalogue of, of characters that you can use. And a lot that Marvel have gotten the IP to now. So they've got Fantastic Four back from Fox, I think. And they finally have like the X-Men and stuff. And I think he was basically just saying, okay, we need to actually think a bit more rather than like flogging these dead horses a little bit so i think that's that's interesting but i still don't know if it's going to change my opinion which is a shame
2: (laughs) we'll have to wait and see yeah yeah exactly yeah
0: that's it i don't trust anyone at disney Mm -hmm. nobody can have that that much money
2: (laughs) (laughs) simon cut us up what have you been watching
1: i needed to top up my 1995 white savior uh, high school, wholesome genre of everyone,
0: everyone needs to charge that battery from time to time.
1: So can you guess the film? 1995, mm-hmm. clue number one. Mm-hmm. Clue number two, Michelle Pfeiffer. Is it the
0: one with Gangster's Paradise? Oh, that film? was my third um, clue. Uh, oh God, what's it called? Gangster,
2: um, uh. oh my God. I, I, re- I remember that Gangster's like, Paradise, Paradise is, is
1: used
0: about four <laughs> or five times. Yeah, it's, yeah, I remember. Because oh my that's the soundtrack,
2: but what's the actual film? uh It's it's a different... like. The song's
0: not called Gangsta's Paradise. The movie's not called Gangsta's Paradise, but it's about, yeah, it's about like an inner city school, isn't it?
2: Yep. Oh
0: my God.
2: The bodyguard keeps coming back. So
1: the plot is... We know the plot. We know the film. I'm going to see if this helps uh, (laughs) you remember. Okay. So imagine this is the film pitch. Michelle Pfeiffer is an ex-Marine. Stay with me. (laughs) <laughs> she decides to become I'm a, there I'm in it <laughs> she decides to become a teacher shut up and take my school. money I love it and all the school kids in the school look like they're middle-aged
2: <laughs> interesting gone okay uh, they're nice. way
1: too old and she has to turn their turn their life chances around by being an amazing teacher oh god
2: but where is the white saviour well because <laughs> well, she's the not, white saviour because she's, no, no. she's that
1: but you kind of let it off the hook because it's quite wholesome. And apart from a few really bum music edits where there's like a really sad bit and it, it and like some like sitcom
0: music fades up. Oh, I thought you were going to say out of nowhere Gangsters Paradise no, just but, keeps no, it in. No,
1: it does. It does keep coming back. But um, apart the, from cop, that... The,
0: the, the choir. You know, when you watch films that you
1: watched when you were a kid and you like analyze how how differently do I feel about it now I'm in this life? Yeah, I had that moment because I remember when I was a teenager watching that, or a kid, and I felt quite edgy <laughs> watching that mm. film. I was like, "Oh, this is I'm basically I'm on guard."
2: Yeah, it's yeah, yeah.
0: it's st- naughty. No obviously, this is an
1: audio. Yeah, medium, remind, me,
2: my, remind me, remind uh, me, who's the? Um... Oh yeah, I should
1: say what it's called. It's Dangerous Minds. I was dangerous gonna say
2: minds, Dangerous Minds, though. but in, like, in my, my not,
0: head, I was thinking Dangerous Liaisons. But I'm like, it's definitely not close. Dangerous Liaisons, but I was yeah. close. Yeah, yeah, I had dangerous in the title, and it's
1: a Jerry Bruckheimer special, so it's. Okay. From the makers of Beverly Hills Cup.
0: The bro- the Brookmeister
2: For General. real?
1: Yeah. And Don could,
0: Simpson, is it Don Simpson?
2: You could have. Jerry
1: Brookhammer and Don No.
0: Parts of the Caribbean, though, eventually.
2: How did you end up watching Dangerous Be- Minds? Because of you. Because oh. I have a,
1: a very pricey Disney Plus subscription because nice. of having to watch oh, The Sixth Sense, I think it
2: was. Oh yeah, of course. So now and
1: I'm
0: ban- like and Banshees, yeah. Oh
1: that, no, that no, sorry, it was because of Banshees. that. because of Banshees, yeah. 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 So I had to buy it for that episode. Good, it's only like so six, $6. ninety nine, isn't
2: it? Max it out. Yeah,
1: but I don't okay. have six pounds. I'm the son of an accountant, Ben. This is an expenditure I don't need.
2: It adds up if you have like it's five exactly. of them. It probably adds up. Yeah, but then it Disney does have games. films
1: like Enemy of the State, which I also watched recently on it, which I quite. Oh, not yeah. You talk it's got about a lot of nineties tut,
0: as I'm calling it.
2: Well, that's the yeah, thing. Yeah, star.
0: That star section is oh. full of nineties. 90s, oh 90s yeah, half.
2: it's golden. And also Disney bought Fox, so what's on Fox? any like this 20th century fox used to have a lot of great dramas and you know social you know crime films so it has a great catalog because of them
1: i did try and watch a film that you'd said that you liked true lies i couldn't watch it it was so bad Uh, (laughs) i I was like sophie said this is all right so i was like okay give it a go it's all right dude it was dreadful okay it wasn't even bad good it was bad bad
2: interesting well. in my opinion it, it it is very american propaganda americans are great and, and then so, uh, that like horrific south african accent from DiCaprio. but it's kind of like wait
0: an... no you're thinking of, you're thinking of blood diamond
2: i'm thinking of blood diamond i can <sighs> What you, I oh thought that
0: was out of character. Oh
2: I was God.
1: like, "Dude, this is the trashiest Arnie film that exists." And then, dude, and then you were like, "It's actually
0: good."
2: Dude, I'm, dude, so I'm, I put I'm, it on, and I was
1: like, "Does Sophie really like this?" this dude,
2: is... I'm confusing True Lies with Blood Diamond. Thank
0: God, very different films. Dude, yeah.
2: the accent is different, it's but, proper but t- the t- acting <laughs> is. <laughs> but it's James Cameron. So it can't be that bad.
0: Yeah, i the, the only I'm sorry, sorry, I know, James Cameron can't be that bad. Let's that man doesn't get a pass anymore.
2: He doesn't make bad films. The only Avatar is a bad film. But,
0: Come on, yeah. so it's a blah. Jesus, it's a blah film. <sighs> yes, exactly. He makes yeah. blah films.
2: Okay,
1: but um, True Lies was the first film to cost over a hundred million dollars. Proof that budget does not what? bring you quality.
2: Ben, what have you been watching?
0: Finish The Last of Us, which we won't talk about because mm-hmm. Simon hasn't watched it. Until Once he's watched it, we'll talk about it. I thought it ended very well in that it ends in the same way as the game does. Watching The Mandalorian, so not Elven, but intergalactic. <laughs> um, I watched, basically binge watched Andor in yeah. like quick succession to to kind of watch that. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was, of of all these kind of like Disney properties, I thought that was actually quite good. Like I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm trying to think what other movies have I watched I feel like I've watched some movies I got about halfway through the the two towers the other night um, hmm. uh, there we go there's, there's my Casually. album quota yeah. what's that the second Lord of the Rings film <laughs>
1: oh I thought it was about the twin towers sorry
0: no no very different films <laughs> <laughs> very different films good lord no you would never be able to take down Sauron with a plane that's for sure um, but yeah I, I, tr- I, I went <laughs> I don't know why I, I should have just pers- persevered I went to watch Bullet Train and then I don't Blood know why I, I don't know why, but I I uh, went. It's on Now TV, and I went to watch it. And Now TV decided I needed to watch two and a half minutes of ads before the movie. And I thought, no, oh, I pay no. for this like a streaming service. I'm not so in the mood right now. I'm pissed off. And Match of the Day is on, so I'll go and watch the day instead. <laughs> and that's what I did.
2: Blood Train <laughs> is great. It's a good. I fun. know.
0: I. It, I really want to watch it. Apparently, though, um, the British accents in it are dreadful. The, Le Tron
1: Boulet.
2: How can yeah. they be dreadful? I mean... No, Aaron from Aaron Taylor-Johnson
0: Taylor- and the other guy, though. Isn't
2: he British?
0: I think so, but the other guy's not. The guy from... Um,
2: uh, from Atlanta?
0: Yeah, he's not British.
2: I don't think he's doing a British accent.
0: He is doing a British accent. Oh, then it's yeah. very
2: subtle. As in, like, I wasn't, like, thrown off by it.
0: Oh, no, I think it's... When, when I... I've watched a clip of it, and it very... Like, it feels... Oh God! Dare I say it? A little bit Don Cheadle in Ocean's Eleven.
2: Right. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm not the I'm I'm not the person to comment on accents, but I just yeah. remember not remembering, so it probably like wasn't so, offensive to me. Yeah. To like so
0: like, I, I I will yeah. watch it eventually. Yeah. I will watch it eventually after I've seen John mm. Wick. I think John yeah. Wick Four is going to be my next cinema thing, and then I'll settle Ooh, down to watch. the like, time to pull yeah, a train. Enough yeah. of our tut. Yeah. I'm, what have you been watching? What have you been watching?
2: <laughs> I've been watching it like, all, like a lot of awful films actually kind of intentionally because I want to see how low some filmmakers can go. And
0: you're doing, the, the, you're doing the theatrical limbo. It
2: pro- <laughs> probably. Well, you know, I think it's also very telling by itself because it shows me that if you don't want to spend a bunch of time researching for the film to watch, chances are you're going to watch a very bad film if you just go with the algorithm or like whatever is being served to you. So I haven't had time to research like, oh, I want to watch like these five films. I just kind Mm. of go to a streaming service and I'm like, this looks decent, I guess. And then I end up like having a very bad time. But I'm going to say, praise the cinema lords. I went to the cinema yesterday and I saw Rylane as of like Peckham Rylane for Mm. our... Londoners out there like people that actually have been to Be- Peckham in London so it's just a twist in the genre of rom-com the, the director is called Rain Alan Miller and that's her debut uh, it's starring Vivian Opera and David Johnson and it's basically like people in the late 20s having very bad date experiences and them spending a day in Peckham Rye. Yeah. So it's just incredible in terms of how it's been filmed. Very funny, very unique, a predominantly black cast. And it just takes a very, I would say, tired genre of rom com at this point and just does something very like funny and hilarious yeah. with it. And it shows you like the, you know, the Jamaican community in Brixton. And like it's just like so authentic and it kind of tells their story and how people meet and how people date and it's just yeah, really, really fun. The the one thing that I want to mention is that there is a cameo out there who's like a rom-com royalty Colin Firth makes a oh, guy, nice. which is I feel like it's a nice like nod to the, to the genre as cool. a whole but yeah, very much recommend. I don't know if you're gonna be able to see it if you're outside of the UK, but if you Yeah, on
0: the streaming service, somewhere. yeah. But if you're based, movie will in... pick it up like they pick up everything.
2: That's true. But if you're based in the UK, it's yeah, it's playing a the lot. The
0: the thing that I really want to see that's probably that <clears throat> I don't think is in many cinemas at the minute is Broker. That looks really good. I've
2: heard of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I saw the trailer for it. And it looks amazing. Can it you say so a bit
2: more about it? It's
0: starring the guy who is the lead in Parasite.
2: Okay.
0: Um, it's and Korean. Ba- yeah, it's a Korean film. It's the story about basically a guy who's trying to uh, hang on. Let me look up the. Let me look up the synopsis because I will butcher it if I don't say it because I will. I'll just get it completely wrong. But it's about maybe like baby brokering is basically the premise of it. Um
2: Classic Korea. Yeah, so a,
0: a young lady decides to give up her newborn child to a church for adoption but discovers that there is an active group which steals these children for sale. She catches the group red-handed and joins them in a road trip to find customers ready to buy the child. Things don't go smoothly since two lady cops are hot on their trail and things get complicated is the synopsis. It's either a documentary about Ireland or one about Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Philomena 2. <laughs> but yeah, it, that looks really Brilliant, interesting. I yeah. saw the trailer before the way and uh, yeah I do really want to see that what's this
2: it's a movie no no oh, I liked it no can I say something no I don't get it what don't you get about it cool so we move on to our community segment I'm really Let's excited about this one because um, it's something that we've been talking about for a while behind the scenes and today we're talking about a deer hunter which is a 1978 film so we're thinking why don't we get people's thoughts on what the thing is the greatest decade mm. in cinema history so let's go through some of our listeners' answers. The one thing that I'm going to say, we did get quite a few responses for this one. The overarching theme in the response is that the 70s were probably the you know most loved, favorite decade from people. Mm-hmm. And I would say the close second is the 90s. Not much love for the '80s or the, you know, 2010s even. Like uh, maybe a couple of posts here. Yeah. I I mean, I I was gonna say like you're probably not the best advocate for (laughs) whatever is in cinemas out there. Even Mm. though I do feel like there are certain pros in the 2010s that you can't find in the '70s, like diversity. But I can't pronounce the usernames. Ik made. I-K-M-A-Y-D. So probably the 70s, mostly because it's informed by so much of the influential work of the past. The late 30s to 40s established a modern cinematic language. The 60s exploded with experimental form. And so the 70s, New Hollywood and beyond established the last real amalgamation of the previous decades and something that hasn't necessarily changed since. Hot take, the 90s is overrated.
0: (laughs) Disagree with the 90s being overrated, I think. So I'm just looking at like a list of like the top, the top movies from the 70s. And you have the Godfather movie. Well, at least Godfather part one. Part two, is part three? Like part three of the 70s? May- Maybe early 80s? Could be early 80s. You've got A New Hope. You've got Jaws, the first alien movie. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Apocalypse Now. Rocky. The Deer Hunter, which we're going to talk about. Taxi Driver. Chinatown. Close Encounters of a Third Kind.
1: The way I would sum up that era, even though I didn't live in it, was like it was still a period of experimentation more than the blockbuster format era. Maybe Jaws out of that list is actually not a great one because perhaps this first like shoots of blockbuster format movies, which were like guaranteed money makers. Whereas like The Deer Hunter feels like it was still where people could get money to experiment with like
0: Mm. topics and culture and stuff. You get the best of De Niro in the 70s, arguably. That is true. Because isn't do- I would, Dog Day in, Afternoon? Do- that's I was the gonna, 70s as well. That that was I didn't realise th- it's the same director as Michael, Michael, Camino, yeah. Michael Camino, yeah.
2: You mentioned the word experimentation, but the way I would see it, I think I would agree with the listeners here in terms of like, maybe the experimentation was in the earlier decades, but with 70s, I feel like it's almost like the rise of the auteur as a term where like you have certain filmmakers establishing like marking their territory like this yeah. like this is gonna be spielberg this is gonna be Scrochesi, this is gonna be you know yeah, like, couple for up- example
1: spielberg was able to make dual. yeah my dad would say duel, duel. <laughs>
2: uh
1: and with Could he make that now? Like, could you just make a film about a truck that becomes a character? Which is,
2: yeah, which is why I feel like the term like auteur is kind of accurate because I feel like it's the first decade where for some reason, I don't know the background or the logistics, the filmmaking studio started giving more creative control. To the filmmakers you in terms like of a, where they could go.
0: You've got, like, from the 70s, you've got a generation of directors who have stood the test of time as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, <coughs> like, I guess it's an interesting question what made the filmmaking studios give them a chance and not you've got, call the formula?
0: You've got Ridley Scott with Alien, you've got Steven Spielberg, you've, you know, George Lucas with the first Star Wars movie off the back of like American Graffiti or whatever it was. Yeah, so
2: you're seeing that the formula Francis is Valco working. Coppola. Yeah.
1: You've got yeah. the Rocky Horror Picture show.
0: Yeah. Sylvester Stallone yeah. I mean Rocky the first Rocky is the 70s I mean, you, you know you're mm, seeing all mm. these people who've stood the test of times that there's what in ways that maybe modern actors and directors yeah. it must not. have been an exciting
1: time to go to the cinema because there was so much variation and people were trying stuff out for the first time or it must have felt like it was for the first time
2: exactly this is what uh, another listener is saying movie nights 237 hello <laughs> the, the shift in Hollywood and the large amount of creative control that was gifted to filmmakers resulted in a decade packed with revolutionary films and filmmakers. Other than the giant positive systemic change that occurred, the endless list of legendary names that emerged during the 1970s that continue to positively affect cinema today is enough to settle the debate. So it's just like, it, I mean, and then they go on to say it was a time of ruthless, politically switched on films that Simon, you mentioned, as well as technically groundbreaking spectacle films. They also make an interesting point in terms of most of the 70s classics have aged very well, which is mm. debatable from a social diversity point of view. But like filmmaking-wise, yes, because you don't have the teasiness of the 80s where everything looks dated and aged no, right everybody,
0: now. Everybody has shoulder pads. Yeah,
2: exactly. It was
1: like... The the decade space was discovered, so yeah, everyone must be in silver and look like they're from outer space.
2: Yeah, so um to to build on this, so yeah, we have a few people saying about like basically praising the seventies and the nineties, like lots of both fun blockbusters, but also innovative trailblazing films like Pulp Fiction, American Beauty, etc. But Glover Picks is saying The lack of love for the 80s here disgusts me (laughs) Top Gun, Aliens, Labyrinth, Empire Strikes Back Old Indiana Jones Oh, you want comedy? Beetlejuice, all of John Hughes Top freaking secret Something for the drama Do the right thing Wall Street, Platoon Everything else is wrong It's the 80s I'll see myself
0: out I (laughs) I think that's a really good point It's just how much does the good outweigh the bad Yeah And I do agree with that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, all of the Indiana Jones movies, Empire Strikes Back, arguably, like, the best science fiction film of all time, possibly, you know. I think two of my
1: dad's favorite films come from the 70s. Do you know a film called Harold and Maud? No. It's possibly. about an older lady that befriends a younger guy and they go to funerals together. And there's another film okay. called Being There, which is about a gardener that accidentally becomes really powerful in politics and he becomes like an advisor to the president or something. Interesting. Mm. And they're both really wacky, mm. offbeat, but quite interesting films. Roadhouse? Roadhouse goes without saying.
0: <laughs> which the remake is coming soon. Did you see that Jake Gyllenhaal's now filming the remake? Oh, yeah, we yeah. thought, yeah. I mean, yeah. we I'm, talked I about don't... that the last time, did we? Yeah,
2: we did. I that He said
0: he was at yeah. like a UFC event where they got him in the yeah, ring and stuff. Yeah, he looks... Crazy.
2: Yeah, Looks ripped. Stretch, <laughs> stretch, stretch. I yeah. I mean, I feel like the eighties were a good time. I think the best way, like, if you everybody was having fun, everybody was having fun. I don't think it's gonna have a very lasting impact from a cultural, or social importance. I feel like the nineties probably brought that back, but eighties was a time of like let's have fun, have like ridiculous haircuts. bro. because
1: that decade there was no climate change worry. Uh, there was no environment. Everyone was problems. making money. Was yeah. ma- everything was going up. Everyone was doing well, bank. obviously. And we're talking about pri- privileged westerners,
0: but yeah, like, yeah of course, like life
2: was good. Yeah, for a
0: lot of people, of course. But then, I mean, the nineties, yeah. You've got Tarantino, so you've got like mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. You've got Pixar starts coming into the mix there, like the yeah. first Toy Story movie. Is, I was gonna say that's
2: that's one of the key reasons the nineties are so high up my list, and I would say probably my favorite decade. I am biased because I am a nineties kid, but uh, the Lion King, like, like yeah. It? It, You've never seen The Lion King? Thing. Isn't
1: it littered with Elton John?
2: Yeah, he <laughs> wrote the, the soundtrack. <laughs> Not track. annoyingly so, but but then you have Forrest Gump, and Shoshang Redemption, Seven, oh, Philade- Seven, Philadelphia. Fight Club, The Matrix. I, was, I always oh, think of Philadelphia
1: oh. as an 80s film, but it's...
2: It's actually 90s. Yeah. It's, it's 1990, I think. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's one of those it's, films yeah. on the cusp. But then you have all of these like cheesy but also kind of good films like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct and Cape Fear and Primal Fear and like it just oh anything Morgan Freeman in the 90s I just love. Sixth Sense
0: it's the decade that gave us Pierce Brosnan as James Bond people come on.
2: Oh the decade that kept on giving.
0: chill out. That man's hairy chest my god.
2: Okay what I do want to say though and for people that know me, kind of know I'm a big nerd, I did dug up some numbers to see if we could get to the objective answer to the question. And according to a study by the American Film Institute, the 1970s produced the most critically acclaimed films of all time. Data point number one. Data point number two. When looking at the IMDb Top 100 list, it appears that the decade with the most films is the 1990s. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, like, the movie critics would say the 70s are the best decade. The consumers, like us, like movie like movie fans, would yeah. say the 90s are probably the best, like, yeah. or most loved decade. But then when you look at the box office numbers, it is a 2010s, like 2010s. Yeah, but that's when we
0: get billion dollar films, no, no. you know. No, no, but that's
2: adjusted so Adjusted, for inflation. Ad- adjusted okay. for inflation. So it's almost like we're watching more films right now compared to or at least like higher production films for some reason because i did ask like was that uh... what you
1: should do is rank your favorite films and then see how much they cost to make and see if there's any correlation
2: oh smart yeah it's very smart yeah
1: because i want to know how much the bodyguard costs to make
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kevin Costner's fifty <laughs> million <not> alone. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I think what all this kind of <laughs>
0: the budget on Robin Hood was through the roof, <laughs> but it was there, wasn't it? Didn't yeah. Waterworld was. almost
1: bankrupt the
0: studio? That, that well, it bankrupted almost bankrupted studio, and everyone hated making it, didn't they? Yeah. It was, Waterworld was one of those ones that notoriously everybody on it was like this film is fucking a nightmare to make.
2: I feel what this kind of tells us is that the seventies, and from what people, uh, other you know listeners have shared. 70s probably where filmmaking peaked, like the actual art of film in terms of like the, maybe not even peaked, but like the production. Well, it's
1: all downhill from there.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. But ultimately, the 90s have so much, you know, yeah. love, heat, and emotional.
0: And the movie Heat. heat.
2: And, and the movie Heat. Yeah, that's, that, that's a good one. <laughs> oh, that is what you
0: meant. Sorry, I thought, I thought you were making just a comment about how, how hot they were. <laughs>
2: That's a really good one. Awesome.
0: Doubtfire. Ooh. Okay, let's go. And his nun's on the run the 90s as well. I bet you it is. Oh yeah. yeah. Feels like a 90s movie.
2: Okay. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for submitting your questions. We definitely did solve that question. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with the Dear Hunter. Oh
1: look, a message from our sponsor.
2: G.I. Jane
0: 2. Can't wait to see it. Now, yo, hold my poodle. Hey, yo, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all want some of this? Without much further ado. Here we go again.
2: The Deer Hunter is a 1978 American drama film directed by Michael Cimino that explores the devastating effects of the Vietnam War on the lives of young American men. The film follows three steelworker friends from Pennsylvania who enlist in the army and are sent to Vietnam. After enduring horrific experiences as prisoners of war, the men return home but find that they're unable to reintegrate into society. That's Perfect. it. I mean, yeah. Are yeah. I mean, <laughs> breathing the, in to say some more? Yeah, it's like. Yeah.
1: Ah. <laughs> I mean, that's very condensed. That very yeah, that condensed, that and it trick. doesn't
2: give away anything, which is great. The film obviously has an old like an all star cast: Robert De Niro, Christopher Walken, Meryl Streep, a bunch of actors that I can't pronounce their names. John but John Kassel. John Cazale, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah we just who's, mentioned earlier who's,
0: whose filmography is The Godfather, Dog Day Afternoon, The Godfather Part Two. The conversation and the Deer Hunter,
2: the streak of the man, was,
0: and he was—I think he had lung cancer—filming the Deer Hunter. He died shortly after they finished oh, it. Oh no, yeah. I didn't know it's his that. His last film. yeah.
2: Wow, this is a ve- <laughs> this is like this is a very emotional and depressing film as it is. The behind the scenes yeah. doesn't sound, like don't sound very fun either. Well, the the film went to win five Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Editing, and Christopher Walken won his first and only Oscar for his role with best I mean, supporting
0: actor was best it? Best
2: supporting actor. I thought he was incredible.
0: And I mean weirdly the fact that De Niro didn't win an Oscar is kind of crazy because mm. that like I think arguably it's De Niro's best performance, maybe. Like I know was he didn't he won the Oscar for the Godfather part two, didn't he? I think it was the death of, I can't remember what he won it for. But like quote. as as someone who like obviously knows a lot of De Niro's work but like, the first film I probably saw De Niro in was, like, Meet the Parents or something yeah. like that. As like a younger get person.
2: Uh, De Niro fatigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But, like, going back to, like, going back to the Deer Hunter. Like, of the top ten movies of the 70s, he's probably in, like, five or six of them. He's got Taxi Driver. He's got that. The Deer Hunter, The Godfather Part Two, Dog Day. Is he in Dog Day?
2: No, that's no, uh, Al Pacino.
0: Oh, I always do that. They
2: yeah. look the same. I always do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they look the same when they were young. I was just
1: thinking about Heat. And that's both of them.
2: Oh, that's both. Yeah, that's of them. Pretty, yeah, so yeah, confusing. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I think he's inc- he's incredible in it. Like especially especially there. Obviously, there's a couple of Russian roulette scenes, really fucking harrowing Russian roulette scenes in the film. But the middle one, where it's him and walking in in the as they're and when they're prisoners of war, he's brilliant. You're like fuck, like you re- like, you feel like kind of how, how he's being driven to snap. Like you just like you really see it in his face. It's just thought he was brilliant and I think he's amazing.
2: I was really sold with De Niro as well. I would say on the second half, however, like the first half, which I, I'm not saying it's a De Niro problem, but the first half I was like, hmm, he doesn't really look... Russian, and I can see, I can't pick up an accent, you know, with some, I think, you know, you could expect from, like, a Russian, like, Mm. kind of American family, because apparently, like, they are from that community. But then you're right, like, the more you go into the film. I think the the
0: first half of the film is just quite slow, though.
2: Yeah, um, (laughs) which I don't know what, I mean, it's a good question in terms of what do you think it's trying to achieve. I think it's great for character building and kind of setting the, sense of normality. Like yeah. these people are, the, the dance and the laugh and the cheat and the like, they say stupid jokes. It's like, the wedding scene is very long. <laughs> yeah.
0: Jumping in kind of the ending of the film, which is, yeah. is the wake. It's you kind of have like it's the film almost like folds in on itself or folds on top of itself. I can't remember what that's called when you have like the two the like, same, same origami. Yeah, let's go with that. It's not, but okay, let's go with that. But in that, in that, so before before they go, <laughs> really but long. before they go to war, yeah, they're in the bar, they're drinking, everybody's having fun, everybody's great. They go to war, and then the film ends in the same bar, but they're there at, at Nick's wake, and it's a completely different atmosphere, and all these people have completely changed, and you can. Mm analyze the film on those two scenes you know you could watch you know you know it'd be interesting to like watch that scene before they go and then watch the scene afterwards and then not even watch the bits in vietnam and just try and make your mind up about what's happened to these people yeah in the space of these two hours because you know and and this is this is a quote a quote that i read online somewhere but basically that you know the best war films focus on the impact of war rather than the act of war itself. Mm -hmm. Like you get movies that are all like Black Hawk Down, which is just two and a half hours of gunfighting. And then you get movies like The Deer Hunter, which of course like a big part of the film is set in Vietnam, but the most interesting parts of the film are the bits either side of it. You know, and the effect that that has on people. And I guess, obviously, as I said, it is an incredibly long film. It is very long, but that slow build obviously allows you to, have that affinity with these people who are going to war to a war that a lot of Americans went into, not really kind of knowing what they were Mm -hmm. getting themselves in for Mm -hmm. as many people do. I think anybody going to war doesn't really know what they're getting themselves into. And then you had this amazing kind of juxtaposition at the end where they're back in the same bar that only a few years previous they've been getting hammered and they were going off to war and they just been on this hunting trip and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's drunk and everybody having a great time and they were playing the piano and they were singing. And now they're, Nick has just blown his brains out in a bar in Vietnam. And you're like, fuck.
2: So let's jump right into that final scene. So in the final moments of the film, we have Michael return to America with Nick's body after what happened the scene prior, which was kind of devastating. And we have, as you said, Ben, a funeral takes place for Nick. After the funeral, we have Steven, Angela, Axel, Stan, Linda and Michael. They all retire to a small town bar. And then it's interesting because we have them all sitting at the table and as the scene progresses, the mood kind of shifts and it gets more somber and somber. And when the, I guess the final scene reaches climax, we have Michael breaking down in tears who starts singing "God Bless America" on his own, and then the other, uh, the others in the bar eventually join in, and the scene becomes a moment of shared grief and catharsis. So the final shot of the film is a close-up of Michael's face, and as he continues to sing the song with a mixture of sadness, regret, and resilience.
1: But I think the final scene begins at Russian roulette. Like, you, if you if you ask you, anyone on oh. the street, like, what's the last, what's the ending of? dear hunter They'd be really like i think so that's what i would that's what i
0: would jump to in I my think, head I, think, I would go to the
2: song for some reason i think reason.
0: because of uh, the iconography of the film i think that's the one like what christopher walken in the redhead band and
2: yeah.
0: even even though on the cover of on the cover and the poster it's de niro in the redhead band mm-hmm. but it's, oh really yeah it's, so yeah, yeah i think it's de niro yeah, yeah it's you're not right. um, i think it's a film that's quite
1: rare because now you don't get final endings like that that aren't satisfying that uh that leave you almost feeling worse than when you began Mm -hmm. and that's maybe a hallmark of that era of movie making where you could you could make a film uh, critiquing vietnam and end on a non-triumphant note i think you get that with certain i think it's a good ending
0: and it feels like it's complete yeah no it definitely And, and it's
1: a film that i'm happy to watch again like now and then but, it's but I think the
0: problem is, is yeah, and I, think, and I think, but there's
1: no, there's no resolution, like there's no, there's no, there's no light. There. I mean, and obviously yeah. it's a metaphor for and, the war, But that's the whole war's a disaster. But that's
0: what I'm saying is that the best war films do that. Yeah. Like the best war films are the ones that kind of you get to the end and you go, oh, actually it is just, Kind of like futile, futile. like futile. it's futile. futile. Yeah. yeah, like that's why I always go like one that I really like is the Hurt Locker because you get back to the end of the Hurt, you get to the end of the Hurt Locker and Jeremy Renner's character is still the same person he was at the start. Mm. No matter how like this, you know, you try and go through a journey of transformation, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He's so ingrained in the machine that he ends back at war, and it's not really a happy ending. That like this guy feels like he has mm. to go back in that way. And the best war films are the ones that but, like w- war films are a great. Obviously, the like the Spielbergs and same Private Ryan are the ones that make money. But the interesting ones are the character studies, like The Deer Hunter, where you talk about well, because Michael's the hero, but he fails. Yeah,
1: he fails to get his mate back. He, he's completely failed by the war. His yeah. character's changed. He's his life torn apart.
2: Let's uh, stay with the song for a minute because that is the very final element of the of the film. The the film as a whole generally is is considered very controversial for its film, for its ending in particular, because a lot of critics and some viewers alike have criticized it for being very simplistic and reductionist for just being like, oh, yeah, just throw the like a version of the American anthem, like in terms of like coming across very pa- patriotic, as in all of it was worth it because God bless America, and then you have. The other camp of the, like, the people that would make the counter argument that this is ironic to an, to an extent that all of these people have come together to sing a song that actually gets them kind of like the values get them killed.
0: Well, and, Be- and, and a good one to go back to on that then is Full Metal Jacket because Full Metal Jacket ends in a similar way where I was they're gonna all say, singing the, yeah. the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song. And it's, it's like, it's, it's done in an ironic sense. It's not, it's, it's, it's not yeah, necessarily, exactly. you're not seeing it because it's a patriotic thing. Yeah. You know,
2: I think Kubrick nails that irony. I'm not sure if it's as clear with the Deer Hunter, just because I feel like the film is very, like, Full Metal Jack is very ironic throughout, in a sense. Because yeah, in, in I don't, fashion, I don't think
0: the Deer Hunter's trying to be, maybe, uh, I think it's, I think it's like a, a tragic irony in a way, because it's not. It's not trying to do it like Full Metal Jacket where it is this, mm-hmm. it's like a kid song. This is the American national anthem that like soldiers will have had ingrained into them. And I think it is just kind of that thing that you do, you know, the nature of that. And, and maybe you don't really see it because you don't really see, like you do with Full Metal Jacket where you see the training side of like becoming a soldier mm-hmm. and you see the early side of it. You don't see how much that's kind of drilled into people, you know. No. If you speak to anybody who's been in the no. military and stuff like that it is how much that's ingrained in you and, and they, how hard it is to let go of that and i think that's the thing as well it's like after all these things that have happened it's still kind of hard to let go of that that
2: and most of the people on the table haven't served no so for me that is what's different to full metal jacket where you have a bunch of soldiers who have all witnessed the you know what's happened the war here you have a Bunch of Americans who are supposedly either... You can make three arguments. Either that this is ironic or that it's very patriotic or that they're using something as a song as a way to come together and kind of share a sense of grief. Mm. A, act of healing, in a way. But I don't know, Simon, what do you think?
1: Wow, oh, there's so much about that ending that's interesting. Like, the film could have ended at the Russian roulette scene and just cut to black mm. when um, Nick shoots himself.
2: That would have been even... Crueler.
1: But then the film, they obviously decided then the film should land a bit more after the stress of that scene and we'll just calm it down and we'll go back to the hometown and see what's happening with all of the partners and every, once everyone's returned home. But I, I always wondered cynically if that sing song was added in by the studio to add some patriotism.
2: No, that wasn't. Or so, it, if
1: it just feels a bit bolted on compared oh, oh, but then but now you're saying that Ben me, you, what you said about what's drilled into soldiers maybe that doesn't it makes more sense to me now thinking about Michael just kind of like his brain just going back to his training and being like I love my country I'm just going to sing the song cuz it's what you do in these situations.
2: It does break down though. Yeah, it's interesting. But, but, but I
1: just felt like it, I didn't
0: I did not really like that part but I think so. you need that scene. As I say, give you that like, juxtaposition between yeah. before and after. I don't think you need the song, though. I think you probably can can, it can fade to black at some point before.
2: I, I mean, I did a bit of research in terms of how the film was reviewed and because I think the American angle is very important. So what I did found that was interesting was that the U.S. movie critics at the time, like the New York Times movie critics said, uh, had quotes like, the ending is a PN to the American way of life that the men fought for and lost. Like a very, they saw it in a very like patriotic way. Mm. But then you have a movie critic from The Guardian who saw it as a hymn to a country that has failed these men. And then a really good quote that I like from Slant magazine, Chuck Bowman goes to say, the song becomes a prayer for the dead, a symbol for the commonality that binds people together. So maybe the, the reason they had them, sing a song it was almost like a way of them to just yeah literally come together because they're not soldiers like the majority it's only michael and steven that have served in the table the Mm. rest didn't really go
0: to war but they're all touched by war though yes that's the whole thing it's the collateral collateral
2: damage yeah indirectly yeah
1: it almost feels like the sense that they left it like the, the main ending is like the Russian roulette part. And then they left the cameras rolling for a bit longer to, to show you a bit more of what happened. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it just felt like it just calmed down so much after that scene that it was just more like just to give the, the audience a bit of time to like recover from the, the horror of that Before scene. Before the
0: credits roll, yeah. Um,
1: And, and now perhaps that, 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 that energy change wouldn't probably be allowed nowadays. You don't really see that, you know, normally it has to end on a massive note like either triumph or stress or something. It's very rare, rare that you see something calm down like that and sort of mm. let you catch your breath again and land.
2: Yeah, which which means that depending on the mood that you're mm. in when you're watching the film, you will interpret the the final scene in a certain way. I think you could go if like the cynical route and just say, "Oh, this scene is very manipulative and it's trying to evoke some sort of emotion." Like around patriotism, like especially if you're American, I guess you see this very differently, but then you could also see it as a
0: I think it's uh, like a hopelessness thing, I think it's just almost like just clinging to clinging mm. to the song and just a it's futile, he's yeah. like
1: singing the song that he's been trained to sing or yeah. brainwashed into singing. yeah, and
2: yeah, for some reason, I see something optimistic about it, but I think it's because all of them are singing together, and I guess that's what you do when but you're was in a funeral to him because yeah. It's w- yeah
1: what he did when he was happy when he familiar was, yeah familiar
2: yeah that was going to be my last question what do we think of, what do we think of him breaking down like or a better question is why do we think the director ended the film with a close up on his face because ultimately it looks like the scene was probably for michael because you remember like the very very final show was a uh, like the director closing in on Michael breaking down. What do we think is up like is next for someone like Michael? Because you could, you could, uh, what I'm trying to say is you could also see a different version of the scene where he just goes blank. He goes like, stereoty- like, you know, like yeah. he's lost everything. Like at least he has emotions. still. I <laughs> think mm-hmm. he's still not definitely dead, dead. He's in
1: a, he's in a- a a stage, a stage of grief, of grief yeah, I guess. Yeah. Sort yeah. of processing something. Potentially. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's quite real, I guess. You know, yeah. yeah. In, and he's in been, a wake and, and you've been to war and you've lost your friends and friends are disfigured. And he's and kind of been like
0: the leader of the group throughout as well. It's yeah. al- it's almost kind of like 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 he led his fr- it's almost like he led his friends into war and of all the ones to cook like one's dead, one's lost their legs, or two are dead, sorry, um is two are dead. I can't remember that. I mean so many people die in that film. <laughs> um and like another's lost their legs, and you know, you've got widows and, and stuff like that. And 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 like I would say in De Niro's performance at the end, I wonder like him breaking down it, it, how much is a sense of guilt. Mm. Like, and I think a lot of it, especially with the especially with the Russian roulette scene there's there must be a massive sense of, of how how much he's begging him to come home and the fact that he even enters into playing the game of Russian roulette with him and him which he's trying to get him back there's the guilt of like I should be dead. it shouldn't be it shouldn't be him it should be me. I should be dead like I should have I should have gotten this out like I was the one who was almost like the older brother in these scenarios that led these people through yeah I think I think if he had just kind of been stoic, that wouldn't have been real. Mm-hmm. I don't think you know.
2: Well, as much as I love the film, I'm going to end this conversation by saying it was really problematic when it came to like how the vietnamese people were yeah, portrayed like it was villainous as in like there aren't any reports that claim that these people played Rus- russian roulette for fun no and, and that's
0: but that became is not the problem like there was quite a lot of regret around it because that became such a big stereotype of yeah. like that like all vietnamese men were just in like seedy bars and playing russian roulette and stuff like that and actually Vietnamese culture is not like that (laughs) whatsoever. And there's like a lot of regret. But from the, I don't know if Michael Camino said it, but I think there has been kind of, it's been acknowledged that like. Oh, really? I think so. That they was kind of portrayed in the wrong way. Mm. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket does a similar thing though, I feel
2: like. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, it's very much American friendly. All of them are American friendly. Very much so. Anyway, I do think we solved the ending again. For one of the most emo films of all time, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of the most, most what, films, <laughs> emo.
0: I feel like I feel like tired even after just talking about it. I'm like, oh Ugh.
2: no, yeah. It, I feel like... the
0: music and it's relentless. It just, oh yeah, that that yeah. riff just like churns on yeah. for
1: hours. That's
2: true. Well, but uh, it's not
0: overused though. I don't think. Yeah, on the music, I, I think it's I think it's used the right amount. You know. Yeah, and it's not. It's not like. It's not, it's not like that they're like riding into war you know and stuff like that it's quite it's like it almost is like really if you watch the film again going from the start it's almost like foreboding and foreshadowing a little bit mm. but yeah
2: well I think we're all excited to not talk about this film for yeah. a I'm minute I'm really glad
0: that it doesn't have a fucking sequel Jesus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake can you imagine
2: uh, awesome. Okay, so if we picked your favorite decade in movie history, go on and share this episode on your stories or whatever, your Discord channel if you have one. We want to hear more people's thoughts, so spread the word about that final scene. If you listen this far, you get a sneak peek into our next final scene, our very first Edgar Wright episode with Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Can't wait for this one. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Did
0: you like it? Did you like that? Did I like it? I loved it.
2: I had no idea you could milk a cat.
0: I have nipples, Greg.
2: Could you milk me? Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.